3: Bring in show music,
1: please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Pro basketball player and new wizard, Chris Paul, on how he got into investing.
4: Man, started asking a lot of questions. You know, you realize you don't know what you don't know
1: the NBA All-Star's new emotional memoir, and how he encourages his friends and teammates to do more off the court.
4: Our players now are so engaged in all different types of businesses, no matter what it is, whether it's tech, uh, you got different players that own wine brands, fashion, guys are so much more than just these athletes.
1: And waiting on Fed Chair Jay Powell, the rate hiking journey with former CEO of Barclays, Bob Diamond.
3: I do not believe that the Fed sees any magic in two percent. I think it's about stability. So I think they're pretty pleased.
1: Plus, what makes a dictator? U.S.-China relations after the Secretary of State's trip to Beijing. And a spy story, CNBC's Eamon Javers with a special report on Chinese espionage.
2: My sources in the U.S. intelligence community kept coming to me and saying, we think corporate America doesn't get it.
1: It's Wednesday, June 21st, 2023, the first day of summer.
2: That means uh, winter's right around the
5: corner.
1: Squawk Pod begins right now.
5: Stand Becky by in three,
3: two,
2: one, cue it please.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to
0: Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today.
5: Bitcoin. Uh, surging back to just under uh, 29,000, twenty eight nine eighteen. that's its highest level since early March. Uh, the cryptocurrency getting some positive news recently with BlackRock filing for an application uh, for what would be the first ever spot Bitcoin ETF. And uh, these are big names. Charles Schwab, Fidelity, and Citadel. Uh, securities officially launched a crypto exchange called EDX. Uh, to sort of fill the uh, the void left by, I don't think they want to be. Well, FTX, I don't think even want to be thrown into that uh, area. But you know, I wrote, earlier today I was looking because I knew about the uh, obviously the uh, you know the the news from BlackRock, uh, but then these others. And then if you hit it up and you hit up Bitcoin, the first story that comes up is a Barron's piece that, and it makes sense to me that. Uh, the bitcoin is becoming more of when you say crypto a lot of the you're not allowed to say what those coins are called it rhymes with bitcoin but they're called other kinds of coins and as more and more um dominance sort of comes to bitcoin for some reason the baron's take was that and that's bad news uh for uh for crypto
0: well bad news for other crypto
5: maybe (laughs) but it would seem like it'd be good news uh for bitcoin it's it's had trouble at thirty thousand. Remember, it had a high of, as you can see there, uh, over 60,000, but it's gotten down to to 25 and change a couple of times recently, in recent weeks, and didn't break. Remember, it was as low as 16 or 17,000 not that long ago.
0: Right. Yeah, you can see it on the chart.
5: Yeah. Yeah. But now, uh, you know, back challenging, maybe, maybe challenging 30,000. We'll see if it gets through it.
0: Shares of FedEx lower this morning after the delivery giant reported lower than expected fourth quarter revenue and provided weak guidance for the year ahead. Companies blaming inflation, higher interest rates and a slowdown in trade for the soft outlook. This is the third straight drop in quarterly revenue. And this is another one of those stories where this is a change in consumer behavior post-pandemic. I mean, people, when, when they were home, stuck at home, they were shopping online a lot. You saw a huge advance in the number of packages that were shipping constantly. FedEx, I think, has laid off about 29,000 people since the height of some of those things. The company also announcing that its CFO, Mike Lentz, would retire at the end of July. We should probably point out, FedEx has actually been the beneficiary of some concerns at UPS, where the workers could go on strike as early as August 1st, so FedEx has already benefited from other companies that are shifting their delivery to FedEx away from UPS.
5: The post-pandemic world is, is really... Weird. It's very strange and uh, weird winners weird losers in this case you know if you're at home you're ordering everything for fedex to 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 be delivered but you're also not spending money on services
0: right and that's been the shift people were buying goods not services and they were having so many of them delivered to their houses
5: there's a big piece in the lead op-ed in the journal today uh, about how you know taking a shot at blue states uh, that have spent a lot of money obviously but they had a lot they were flush from capital gains. Oh, right. Now, you know, the, the market the, doing. It. Mm-hmm. So, so, the yeah. one Florida or the one state that's still just killing it is Florida, not because of capital gains in the stock market because of
0: destinations.
5: Businesses moving there because oh, business all the blue there. states when they can, they raise taxes. Well,
0: not to mention you can't get on a flight to get down there.
5: Right. But yeah, Florida's Killing it, whereas a lot of these others said, New Jersey, New York, huge uh, shortfalls. And a oh, lot of yeah. it has to do with, with plunges in, in state revenue because there's no capital gains. Hmm. Another effect. So the pandemic was a, an era of capital gains. Figure that out. Really was. Think of the yeah. stock market and, and everything else. Stock market went from 2,200, whatever, back to, to 4,000. Hmm. President Biden, referring to China's President Xi, as a dictator during a speech last night. Is that a stretch? I mean, does anyone think that that is, is, uh, I don't know, how do you define dictator? He checks most of the boxes, I think. The comments came just days after Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, met with Xi and other Chinese officials in an effort to lower tensions between the two uh, superpowers and Beijing firing back this morning saying Biden's reference is extremely absurd and irresponsible. And amounts to a political provocation. It's true he gets 99.9 percent of the vote usually, uh, and what he says goes. We, if if we, if one of our competitors is allowed to say that Joe Biden is a wannabe dictator, I think the person got fired for saying that for for the putting the, the oh. Chiron on. Right. But if, I mean, if. The, the the that might be a stretch obviously but this is this a stretch I guess we don't want to make value judgments but it's the CCP
0: I, I think it just shows the sensitivity right now around this and the tensions um, you, you're like you mentioned two days ago we thought we were kind of moving forward
5: we, we said we we don't
0: thawing things what, thawing was, that? what was the quote we don't we an don't, we're not endorsing an th- independent in Taiwan, time. I think, what it was. But, but at the same time, Blinken was also saying that if they were unexpectedly attacked, we would probably try and help.
5: Strategic ambiguity. Yeah. yeah.
1: In a new CNBC documentary, Eamon Javers has a rare bipartisan interview with the Democratic and Republican leaders of the Senate Intelligence Committee about how China's spies are trying to steal U.S. trade secrets. Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida.
3: Today, the world we live in, the world we've all benefited from, was a world framed by an American-led order. Now, if they are dominant in these fields in the 21st century, the entire world will be responding
5: to Chinese standards, which is leverage in and of itself over geopolitics,
1: over decisions that policymakers can make, over society. And Democrat Mark Warner of Virginia. The old notion, of 20 years ago what national security was, of who's got the
5: most planes, tanks, ships, and guns, is no longer the case. Who has the most advanced wireless communications? Who controls overhead satellites? Who is going to make the most advances
1: in synthetic biology or controls next generation energy? That is all within the gambit now of national security. Eamon Javers joined our TV broadcast this morning to talk more about it.
5: Eamon Javers is in studio. Here on set. Here on set, in person, in with a my rare, jacket on. I, I didn't go opinion. jacketless like you, you. You could if you want. You've yeah. got a, a nice figure. It wouldn't matter. I, I need a little help. Just cover it up a little yeah. bit. We'd like to see your Lululemon pants that, <laughs> that you would...
2: <laughs> never. <laughs> I'm holding the
5: line, Joe. I know you
2: are. Yeah, I won't wear sneakers with a suit. All either. right, that's fine. A, Feel a, uncomfortable. F- have things crushed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Um, look, this this interview with these two guys was just a fascinating opportunity to sit down. It's the last bipartisan issue in it's Washington D.C., right? The two
0: of them together, but it makes you feel like this must be something that is very, very important.
2: Yeah, they they really cared. They wanted to do that interview together, side by side, to send a message to the country that this is not a Democratic or Republican issue. This concern about China and what they're doing to corporate America is really front and center for them. And uh, we got started on this documentary. Back in October, we we were starting to work on this, and we've been talking about it for a while because my sources in the U.S. intelligence community kept coming to me and saying, we think corporate America doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. Corporate America looks at the Chinese espionage threat as, okay, they're stealing some IP, they're causing problems, this is gonna cost us money, but basically they're stealing to catch up to us, and we're ahead, so things are fine. What U.S. intelligence is saying, and I think what comes through in the documentary is that the threat is a lot more existential than that. The, the stealing that's going on by China is about stealing to then subsidize a Chinese state champion company that will then go on to displace the American incumbent. So they're not trying to steal to, keep, to catch up with you. They're trying to steal to kill you. Is they this, want to take those corporates off the chessboard.
0: Is this the stealing? from companies that do business in China? Or, by, I mean, are they, is, the, is the goal from intelligence to try and get companies to stop doing business in China, or is this a problem that's going to happen whether you're operating in China or not?
2: That's a good question. I, I asked Christopher Wray, the FBI director, that exact question in the documentary. He says, we don't want you to stop doing business in China, but we want you to be a lot more careful about how you do it. FBI Director Christopher Wray has been warning American industry for years about the threat from China.
5: The Chinese government is determined to try to steal key technologies through a whole variety of means, cyber means, human intelligence programs, and even seemingly benign
2: investments, and then using them in concert.
0: How can you do that?
2: Well, the central case in the, in the documentary that airs tonight at 10 p.m. on CNBC, Um, is a case of GE Aviation, right? And there was a Ministry of State Security spy in China who was targeting composite fan blade technology that GE Aviation had that's absolutely crucial to the economics of a modern jet engine. And what this spy did was he found the exact engineer inside GE in Ohio who had this information and who had family back in China Hmm. and targeted that guy uh, under the auspices of a Chinese university, inviting him back to China to give speeches, talking to him about getting access
1: to How his laptop. How do you protect
0: yourself from a situation like that? I mean, the, the answer to that is what? You can't hire any it's, uh, Chinese corporate people. I mean, that, yeah, that, that, that sets that's you not up for xenophobia. Right. Like, that's not a good answer. That's not a good answer.
2: crazy. No, the what. What the FBI will say is the way you, we protect them against that is you work very closely with the FBI. And in this case, GE did work with the FBI. They found out that this engineer had been traveling to China and had not been disclosing it to GE. They met with the engineer and they said, we understand that you're the target of a Chinese espionage operation. You can either face the consequences for what you've done so far or you can work with the FBI. And the engineer inside GE became a double agent. And they flipped him, Jeez. and the FBI sent him back to the Chinese. So the Chinese thought, he's still our guy. He's going to give us the secrets. He's talking about uh, downloading his entire laptop with all the secret plans on it for, for the Chinese. They didn't realize he was working for the FBI the whole time. I won't give away, away the plans? end of the story. Yeah, I, well, they, did, just, they did send some, fi- some fake plans. GE worked, also, worked he up some bogus docs. So, so yeah. how do you... And when the Chinese agent traveled to meet with him, the Chinese had on their phones Lots of pictures of this guy's family, right? Which is leverage, yeah. right? And so there are real concerns here uh, in terms of the espionage that's going on. But what folks told me was the target of that operation wasn't even really GE Aviation. The target of that operation was Boeing. Hmm. Because if you can steal all the different components of a, of a commercial jetliner, you can build one. They have a company called Comac in China. You can subsidize COMAC, and you can really threaten Boeing, not just their market share, but Boeing's existence, right? If you come out with a corporate jet uh, program that can sell jets for half what Boeing can or three-quarters of what Boeing can, where's the global market going to go, right? If the components are the same, the safety is the same, why not buy the cheaper one?
5: We shouldn't be under any illusions. I mean, they have a a billion and a half people that they think they want to bring into... That same type of prosperity that we have. Right. So do you blame them? It, it, are there any international rules for the way businesses should behave? And, and if there aren't, then we just have to t- take the same tack. We need, we need to fight fire with fire, but we shouldn't be under any illusions that they're going to be nice about
2: things. I interviewed a, a longtime veteran CIA officer named Jim Olson for this. He was undercover in Moscow in the 70s and 80s, like a total mission impossible spy guy, uh, counterintelligence expert, and he said what he would be doing right now is flooding the Chinese channels with double agents, just like this operation that we detailed right. in the documentary, because you keep them on their toes, they never know what's real, what's not real, right. it wastes a lot of their time, and you learn a lot about their operations, so in his view, what the CIA should be doing is just sending a lot more corporate double agents back yeah. into China and confusing the channels Hoping of information. It, 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 it. There's going to be goodwill, or oh, they wouldn't do that. That's not. Look, right. corporate espionage has been with us exactly. since there has been corporations. I don't think there are any rules, been Eamon. Like, I don't think there are any rules. Look at the, the cotton didn't. gin, right? right? I mean, all these legendary things business, going back to the time it's, immemorial. It's business. Yeah, you got to protect yourself. Right. People steal when there's somebody who has an advantage over them. Good teasing. Uh, good. Thanks. <laughs> Ten o'clock tonight on CNBC. Thanks, amen
1: China's corporate spy war premieres tonight, Wednesday, June 21st on CNBC at 10 p.m. Eastern and again at 10 p.m. Pacific. If you miss it live, streaming customers can find the documentary on Peacock. It will also be online. Go to cnbc.com documentaries for links and details on where to watch. And next on Squawk Pod, Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell says he expects more rate hikes as inflation remains well above the Fed's 2% target. Atlas Merchant Capital CEO Bob Diamond.
3: I do think we all worry too much about that 2%. In my view, if uh, headline inflation is 3 to 3.5% at the end of the year, they will feel very, very good, and I think uh, the pause will remain.
6: From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive...
1: Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan and Becky Quick.
5: Joining us to talk about the Fed's challenges, the markets, and much more, Bob Diamond, CEO of Atlas, a Merchant Capital, former CEO of Barclays. Even if we do another 50, we had four straight 75s. So if we got two, two 25s left, maybe at some point, doesn't that at least mean we're at the tail end of things and and We've made some progress
3: for sure i you know I, as we talked the last time i was here we think inflation has peaked it's i think the fed is
5: reasonably pleased with
3: you know headline inflation at four percent or a touch under four percent i think if this year it ends at three to three and a half percent i think they'll be pretty pleased joe i don't think i do not believe that the fed sees any magic in two percent um i think it's about stability um so uh, i think they're pretty pleased i think there's more likelihood of another 25 or 50 over time than there is of a cut this year. Mm -hmm. I think where the markets really got ahead of themselves is starting to think that, you know, it's peaked and now it's going to start going down again. And I think, you know, the hurdle for the Fed to reverse course is really, really, really high. Um, The hurdle for them to pause, I think this was appropriate. And I think it'll be very data dependent going forward what, do you, what, what
5: is your definition of reversing course cutting or just yeah, stopping yeah. okay so no no
3: i think a pause is highly appropriate well, yeah, but a pause and is different than th- f- a stop uh we don't know yet we right. might so look it's back possible and it's, it was a stop. Stop. it's a stop yeah, no i think you phrased it correctly i think i think they may stay here uh i think it's very data dependent i don't think it's it's decided that they're going to raise another 25 or 50
5: but i think there's no chance of cuts um in the foreseeable future i mean i hate to say that they're, they're really doing a good job. But I, I, and everybody's worried about the stop-start 70s, which yeah. really messed things up, and we had to bring in Volcker. I don't think it's the same thing. I don't think the inflation is the same, or, or the, I don't think the no. threat is the same. And I think a stop is, or a pause, keep, or, a, or a, what do you call it? A halt? What, what do they call it?
3: Keep in mind, when, Warranted. When, when Volcker stepped down in 1987, inflation was still just above 4% and he was like the icon of of killing inflation so i, I do think we all worry too much about that two percent yeah. that target was sent i think in 2012.
0: I, they, um, they may regret it but they don't want to step away from it i think it was neil kashkari who told us here on the set that they don't want to give up on two percent just yet or back away from it because they're afraid they'll lose credibility if they do that you don't want to move the goalposts midway through the game
3: well, a target has been set, yep. so they have to they have to pay attention to it. But in my view, if uh, headline inflation is three to three and a half percent at the end of the year, they will feel very, very good. And I think uh, the pause will, will remain.
0: The consumer has been incredibly strong. I, I think it's still kind of stunning to try and figure out how this is going to end. Is there going to be a recession? Is there going to be a hard recession, an easy recession, or can we escape even that? And it, I think it's all tied up with the consumer.
3: Yeah, and I think if you look at $5 trillion in fiscal stimulus, mm-hmm. no wonder that businesses and consumers for this point in the cycle still have a you know, very, very strong cash position. I think a lot of that cash is still out there, both uh, on the business side and on the consumer side. So um, you know, we all know, to Joe's point, I think the Fed is doing a very, very, very good job in taming inflation. I think they were part of the cause, though, early on, right. by overstimulating and waiting way too long before they they started to cut. So I think it's a little bit of two tails there. But right now, Becky, I, I don't feel like this is a recession. Uh, I do think we're going to have a longer period of sluggish economy. We have to adjust to five, five and a half, six percent interest rates, which I think there's more adjustment to go in the economy. We certainly saw it in banking with with SVB and the impact of higher rates have had on on regional banks we're going to see some of that same impact on on corporates. so i think a longer sluggish rather than short
5: sharp deep recession is is probably watching in the um, all the the front page stories about hotels being abandoned in san francisco nobody returning to work to commercial office space nobody wants to go to downtown anymore this i mean there's something real happening there in terms of commercial real estate isn't there how how scary is that what what could the what could the effects of that be in terms of of everything else could it spread is it is it serious enough to be i don't know like a mini uh, mbs or cdo type situation is there anything out there looming listen it looks pretty serious um i'm
3: far from an expert in real estate but the impact of, of COVID and stay at home and all the things that we've talked about, Crime. commercial real estate has been real. Crime and
5: it, it, um, I mean, there's, there are empty cities right yeah. now. And, and what, what was the latest there? Was it Walgreens or something putting in, you can't get out of, of Walgreens, there's bars to get out so that you can't just run out holding something. I mean, I don't, I don't know whether that's- I don't a, think that's a real estate thing.
0: Uh, the crime, a, the crime, crime is not issue a real estate. It leads to thing? the problems with the yeah. real estate, though. I mean, it, it, it certainly.
5: Why is the UK so high inflation? You used to live there.
0: Yeah,
3: listen, Joe, you have a real macro story in the UK that is very difficult. I mean, the, the impact on the free flow of goods and services and <laughs> labor across border from Brexit is real. I mean, Brexit has really limited the free flow of both <laughs> goods and labor across border. And I think it was either this morning or yesterday that they announced 8.7 percent inflation number. So the UK is really battling um, some some difficult headwinds, macro headwinds that in a way were created by them. And so the challenge for monetary policy is even is even greater, I think. Uh, I think the rates are 4.5% in the U.K., and I would expect another 50 basis points.
0: You know what's weird is watching China actually stimulate its economy, bring some of its rates down while everybody else on the planet is raising rates.
3: They did a 10 basis point cut, didn't they? Yeah. 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 (coughs) Well, listen, China, um, you know, kind of the opposite. They stayed probably too long in a closed-down economy. I think the only challenge from a market's point of view is I think people's excitement about China coming back um, wasn't misplaced, I think China is going to recover and is going back into growth. But I, I, I think people got too excited with how fast and, and uh, how quickly it would all happen. It's gonna take some time.
5: You uh, just, we got about a minute left. I don't know if we've ever talked about crypto uh, with you. You're an old line, old fashioned, banker type, yeah. Barclays, Lehman. Um, does it surprise you, BlackRock now? Talking about it, it doesn't, would you see those other three, Citadel, Charles
3: Schwab? Crypto is such a broad term, but if if you narrow it down to the digitization of so much of what we're doing, it's a natural course. Joe, for me, regulation, regulation, regulation. Stop avoiding it, regulators, and start regulating it and help us out. And I think, you know, you would have heard me say this during 2008 when I was at Barclays, strong banks want strong regulation. For any positive impact of crypto or digitization, we need we need regulation and we need clarity. And and uh, I love seeing um, some of the some of the more mainstream firms get involved here, like like BlackRock. And BlackRock, um, we worked with them on Circle, um, where they're an investor in Circle and we're an investor in Circle. It's it's a digital payments company. And and you know I knew how much um, how much BlackRock saw in terms of the future of of, of Circle. And I'm not surprised that they're more involved now in 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 crypto more broadly. You buy any Bitcoin? No. Never, never have. Sadly, no. Sadly, you asked. My partner and I were on this show a couple of years ago, when you asked. And uh, my partner, uh, David Sheamus, uh, has been a, uh, an investor from the beginning and is a believer that you know some small percentage of your yeah.
5: net worth belongs there. I've never followed to my. <laughs> Still haven't learned. So Still I can learn, Joe. So you've heard of leading a horse, but I mean I can't. I can't do it. you anything. have
0: Bitcoin? Of course.
5: <laughs> of course. I bought it as low as 4,000. Started at eight. And do you buy it here? It is
0: not a significant portion of your net
5: worth. It was more than 10 Bitcoin. I mean, it was not a significant. Well, I'm just so loaded. We're talking, we got Bob <laughs> Diamond here. No, it, I mean, one to 2% of your net worth. I, I think it's insane if you're, if you don't. And I thought you'd be smart enough. Didn't get there. All right. Drink, Corsi. Drink. All right. <laughs> Bob, thank you.
2: Cheese will be next.
1: Coming up, 12-time NBA All-Star Chris Paul. How pro basketball became only part of his career, his many investments and partnerships, including in plant-based companies.
4: I'm always trying to figure out how I can get better. It started out for basketball, but then it transformed into a lifestyle and just trying to educate my family on health and wellness.
1: We'll be right back. You're listening to Squawk Pod.
2: Stand by Joe, his mic
5: here. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, uh, along with Becky Quick. Diving into the world of sports and business, our next guest balances his time on the court with a slew of high profile partnerships, NBA superstar and Olympic athlete and entrepreneur. Chris Paul has partnered with brands, including Fanatics, Jordan and Beyond Meat with a focus on supporting uh, Plant-Based Lifestyles and HBCUs, Historical Black Colleges and Universities. Now he's sharing his success uh, in his life and business world and basketball and his new memoir, uh, 61 Life Lessons uh, from Papa on and off the court, uh, which hits bookstores book today. Joining us now is Chris Paul. So
4: pleasure to have you. Thank you guys so much for having me. A little starstruck, uh, yeah. obviously.
5: <laughs> <Cleared. Whatever>. <laughs> <laughs> After the end the, um, I admit, first thing I did, I, I, it's, so it's not that I'm too short. That's not why no, I'm the worst fast. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an athlete. But everything you've done, you've done at, at are you 6'1"?
4: Depends on which day it is, what <laughs> shoes I decide to wear. But, uh, yeah, I'm maybe six 6'1 six on a good day. What was the very first thing that you
5: did versus on the court to say, I'm going to expand my horizons because
4: there might be a life? Uh, after basketball? Man, started asking a lot of questions. You know, you realize you don't know what you don't know, right? So at 19, 20 years old, I got... Way back then. Yeah, I mean, that's when I came into the NBA. Yeah. You know, you sort of just thrown into it. You know, I'm playing in college, decided to go to the NBA, and now you get here and you're thrust with uh, money and opportunities. So you just try to reach out for mentors and people who will teach you. It's almost cliched the what
5: what sometimes happens to to great athletes that when their you know playing days are over and they don't have a whole lot necessarily to show for. You're you're a huge you're still playing yeah. and and have a hu- almost a an empire of Chris Paul side things the businesses they're not even side. I don't think I think basketball's kind of a side thing. <laughs>
4: no basketball never the side thing but. It's it's funny because uh, I had an opportunity to be the president of the union for eight years and I was on the executive committee for seven years. And it's been amazing to see the transformation of our league and to see how our players now are so engaged in all different types of businesses, no matter what it is, whether it's tech, uh, you got different players that own wine brands, fashion. Guys are so much more than just these athletes, you know, but guys see themselves as their own CEOs and businesses as they should.
0: Does the league help with that in terms of taking people who are so young, coming into so much money, having so many people who I think are probably preying on them at times, too? Yeah. Is the league doing more? You know, to the, help league,
4: the league helps, but also the union. You know, we have an amazing union, the NBPA. Uh, and players are so involved now, right? Like, there's a group of players who were just in Milan, Italy, for a week. You know, we have different classes and courses, and there are a lot of different things out there that guys can, can use. There's resources. And... The communication and the community of players is really important.
5: You all, you're you're not just a spokesperson. You you, are, do you partner up like with State Farm or how many how I'm many glad. spokes? That's your main one. I've seen yeah. you, I've seen a hundred commercials. Yeah. Yeah. Like.
4: You know, it's funny when I first came into the NBA as like I said, when you're young, you're you're out here doing sort of quote unquote endorsement deals. Right. Right. But as you get older and you start to understand, I want to do partnerships with companies. Right to make sure that you know, we're both getting out of it what we would like to get out of it, and making sure that our values are aligned. And so that's probably been the coolest thing with Brand Jordan, with State Farm. We've done so much other than just the fun commercials that I've been able to do with my kids, and I appreciate that.
0: Why plant-based um, foods at some point with Beyond Meat and others? What, what appeals to you?
4: Yeah, so for me, uh, I'm 38 now. Right, so I just went plant-based four, four years ago, and I'm always trying to figure out how I can get better, right, And what I do. I'm out there, especially at the point guard position, playing against a lot of 22 and 23-year-olds. Yep. You know, so it started out for basketball, but then it transformed into a lifestyle and just trying to educate my family on health and wellness. You had a, uh, a really solid, uh, I think,
5: family, um, experience growing up which included even your grandfather
4: yes right yes like what 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 did he do for you how did he inspire you or you know i'm born and raised in winston-salem north carolina my late grandfather was the first uh had the first black-owned service station in north carolina so you know a gas station where you go pump the gas and rotate tires and i wanted to be just like my grandfather i used to have a red rag and just wanted to be like him and when i was 17 years old uh, he was murdered you know by five teenagers and it was the hardest thing for me and the day after his his funeral i scored 61 points in my next game um, in my first game of my senior year and he was 61 years old when he when he died And the book is 61. yes sir it gives me kind of hairs on my neck kind of stood up so
5: he it was at a robbery at his at the the gas station or?
4: yeah so growing up everyone knew me and my brothers mr jones grandkids right so everything that he did uh, and it's kind of reflective of I talk about in the book how even at church or when you saw my grandfather, he used to just have oil on his hands, which just showed his hard work. And I talk about how it sort of came full circle. I've had four hand surgeries since I've been in the NBA, which is sort of symbolic of my relationship with my granddad. But um, it was an unfortunate situation, you know. But he uh, he was the rock of our family. If I wanted shoes back then, he wouldn't give me the money. He'd make me and my brother work, and so. It just all went back to, to doing the work day in and day out.
0: How how tough was it kind of reliving some of those memories as you put this book together?
4: You know what, writing a book, ooh, it is extremely tough because, you know, you want to make sure it sounds like you, you want to put your emotion into it. It was really tough. It was a lot of things that I hadn't sort of discussed in over 20 years, but um, I was so happy to to have the book completed and more so so. You know, my family, friend, everyone can enjoy, but also people who don't know me. You know, I'm I'm interested to see what they think about the book. Mm -hmm. Do a lot of, I mean, eventually you you get, you know,
5: so well off you you have to give back. So you're you're involved with philanthropy, HBCU, all that just becomes a natural thing.
4: Yeah. So so I went to I went to Wake Forest University for two years, which was amazing. Then I went on to the MBA. But growing up in the South, I was always around different HBCUs. I was around Winston-Salem State University, North Carolina A&T. And so uh, during the pandemic, I said, let me go back to school. Let me go back to school. I want to get my degree. And so I enrolled at Winston-Salem State University and I graduated in December.
2: Congratulations.
4: Yeah, it only took me twenty years, but I, I got it done. They're telling us we got to go, but
5: I'm wondering—you know—just watching what happened. I mean, I see, like Mb should be able to win a, a championship, and then I think, you know, you put one guy in, and it's not going to happen. But I, everybody's looking for the chemistry that results in a, in a championship. Could you do that if you were? A coach? Would you know how to do that? What? Even at the sun, how to put together? Five guys that, well, get, that get it done because it's not one guy. Well, ever. listen, I've been playing. Might be with, now. After I've been Denver. playing
4: for just finished my 18th season. I'm still trying to figure <laughs> it out. Still trying to figure it, it out. Trying to fi- but it's fun, man, and it's hard. You know, but, I, I had a coach of mine that used to always say. The skip from David. Coach Prosser. Coach yeah. Prosser used yeah. to say uh, never delay gratitude. He had all these things. But I also had a coach that said that you also need a little bit of luck. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Being good is one thing, but you need a little bit of luck. But You, hit, you need it be
5: in shape too i can i think i honestly i could run i think i could get make it from one side to the other of the court once and then then i'd have to sit down i, I do I, I, but uh i just for an entire game do you watch those guys yeah and not only play and then you got to play defense oh which yeah. Is, yeah and you
0: gotta shoot
5: you gotta do you gotta do all of that oh, yeah okay. chris thanks thank you guys, from, guys uh, so much for having Tavion, me on 61 it. I appreciate Look, it yeah
0: thank you
1: And that wraps up Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Roth-Sorkin, who will be back tomorrow. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and get the best of our TV show right in your ears when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen. Don't forget to watch Eamon's documentary 10 p.m. tonight or streaming on Peacock. That's it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
2: we are clear. Thanks, guys.
6: From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.